And to also make Pastor proud, they asked if I wanted to bring something to my wife for lunch. So uh, she wasn't with us, but we took my wife some shrimp. <laughs> Why am I so excited? She ate it, not me. But anyway, good to be back with you. Good service this morning. Let's take our Bibles this evening and let's stand together and turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Luke 11. I'm going to try to be at the prayer meeting tomorrow at 6 o'clock. I, I have a, another place. I'm going to be at 7 o'clock. But I, they said you could come in for a while. When you need to leave, you leave, right? Okay, so I'm going to try to be there at 6 o'clock. And then I'll move on to where the other place I'm going to be tomorrow. But um, so anyway, I, I hope somebody will be here tomorrow night. Uh, I got invited to preach in the Christian school while I'm here for a few weeks, so I'll be doing that. I got invited to preach uh, in the youth group, so I'll do that one night on a Wednesday. And uh, nobody invited me to eat yet, but maybe something like that will come together. All right. Well, we'll have to see what happens. Wow, now she asked me to pay for it. Okay, all right. All right, well, let's take our Bibles and uh, we'll read Luke chapter 11. Again, thank you all for uh, your love for us and our family. All right, Luke chapter 11, and we're going to begin reading. Uh, we'll just read verse 1 to begin. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, Teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Let's read it again. And as it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, he's praying, and evidently his disciples are watching him. When he ceased, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. John taught his, you teach us. And teach us just like John taught his disciples to pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you, Lord, to use the word again tonight. We ask you, Lord, to lead. We don't want hocus pocus. We don't want performance. We don't want any sensationalism. We don't want any deviation from the norm. We just want you to teach us something tonight. Speak to our hearts. Revive us. And as revival meeting is coming up in a couple weeks, we pray, Lord, that this will make a difference on that week, but also, Lord, make a difference on the year. In fact, make a difference perhaps even in eternity. And, Lord, we know that revival is not summed up in one week, but one week can sure boost it along. And so, Father, we pray for you to use the word. In Christ's name we ask, amen. There was a friend of mine at church recently that uh, Wednesday night we were taking testimonies and his testimony was, you know, I was listening to somebody pray the other day and I felt like they were in the presence of God. And he said, I thought, why is it that when I pray, I don't pray like that? What's missing? And he said, I decided that I wanted to pray like that. 
I have no idea who he was talking about. It wasn't me because I wasn't there. But I don't know who it was. But have you ever sensed there are certain people when they pray, it's like they're right on the throne of grace with Jesus. And that's the way that I want to pray. I want that. I've got a very good friend of mine, Joe Long, and he's in Pennsylvania, and I love Joe Long, and I love to hear him preach. And one of the things I love most about his CDs that I take with me, and I listen to on occasion quite often, as a matter of fact, is I come to the part where he prays before he preaches, and then when he prays after he's done preaching. And I don't I don't know how you think about this, but I'm so blessed by just hearing him pray that I rewind it. Amen. And I listen to it again. And sometimes I'll rewind it again. Because it's like he's going into the presence of God. Well, I imagine that the disciples had more than that when they saw Jesus praying. And I don't know if Jesus was thinking about anything but being with the Father, but I don't know if he was thinking about it. his disciples were there. I don't know if he even had that thought on his mind, but I do know something that they saw they wanted. And so they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, I can imagine John the Baptist probably communicated with God when he prayed. And so there, those disciples evidently said, John, teach us how to talk when we talk to God. And so then... Now, the disciples are saying, Lord, teach us to pray. Wow, we just want to pray like that. And so this is what Jesus does. He teaches them to pray, and there's more that he teaches them, but we need to learn to pray. Now, I enjoy preaching, and sometimes I want to be a better preacher, and sometimes you want me to be a better preacher, I understand but I've lately felt, and I hope it's okay to feel, I hope this is okay for preacher. I have felt that I would rather be a good prayer than a good preacher. Now, I want to be a good preacher, and a good preacher is anybody who takes the Word of God and delivers it, just as it is. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4, 16, Take heed to thyself and to the doctrine. Continue in this. In doing this, you'll save thyself and them that hear thee. In other words... Timothy, you want to do this thing right? Just preach it. Just preach the doctrine. It'll work. And live it. Don't just preach it. Live it. Don't pretend to live it. Live it. And if you preach the gospel and you preach the doctrines of the Bible and you live it, it'll work. And so anybody, whether we're behind the pulpit or whether you're with a third grade Sunday school class, if you are preaching it and living it, you're a very good preacher or a servant of God. But the Bible also teaches the importance of prayer and how without Him we can do nothing. And I've learned that without Him we can do absolutely nothing. Now, it doesn't matter how smart I am, and I'm not necessarily saying I'm the smartest. doesn't matter how smart I am. If I do know anything, though, God is the one who blesses, God is the one who opens, God is the one who makes it work. And the Bible says that God is the one who supernaturally enables anybody to do anything. And it doesn't matter how good of an orator person is, how smart of a Bible scholar person is, how practical a person is. I was in Haiti, as I mentioned recently, and I learned this lesson again. We had scheduled 
Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for open air evangelistic campaigns. Guess how many we had? We had two, not four. We were expecting to have 2,000 people a night. Guess how many we had? We had 300 the first night. We had about 700 the second night, and then we had to close the meeting. Now, it was a great thing to have 300. It would be great to have three. Just think about the privilege of me going to another country, telling about Jesus, three people. Now, could three people make a big difference? The Ethiopian eunuch did. He was only one. And so three can make a big difference. So I'm not belittling this thing that we only preach to 300. We preach to 700. That was wonderful. I'm not belittling the privilege I had of having two open-air meetings. But we planned on four, and we planned on 2,000. And you know what? I learned again, unless the Lord opens the door, the door is not going to get open. So we can plan and do and pay and work. And we can preach and teach and study. But unless the Lord does it, it is not going to be an open and effective door. So we learn that we have got to pray. Without Him, we can do nothing. And we know how important that is. So honestly, I am being challenged that I want to be a better preacher, but I want to be a better, even more better prayer. Because prayer is where the floodgates of God's blessing are opened. And so we are good preachers when we use the Word of God and when we declare it. And I think we've got a lot of people here that are giving gospel tracts. I think we have a lot of people here that are giving the doctrines out. And I think we have a lot of people here that are praying. But if I might challenge us about anything that will make a difference in the upcoming year, in the upcoming revival, it is the difference is prayer. Little prayer, little power is that old phrase. Much power comes from much prayer. And if we have little prayer, we'll have little power. Much prayer, we'll have much power. And so here in the passage uh, is the passage on prayer. Now, as we look at any revival in history, we know that revival has always come from prayer. And I'm sure pastors going to allude to that. But what we want to look at is the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And sometimes we kind of lose this idea that prayer really does make the difference. And we need to be reminded of that, that prayer does make the difference. So pray. Now, the first thing that Christ does when they said, Lord, teach us to pray, is he teaches a little bit about how to pray. All right, let's look at Luke chapter 11 and verse 2. The disciples, they see Jesus say, teach us how to do it like that. And if you think about it, you will look at this passage and you compare it to John 17 where Jesus prayed. And though this is the model, you can see that Jesus covered pretty much every one of these issues in his real prayer when it was just him praying to God in John 17. So he says to them, when you pray, verse 2, say, Our Father which art in heaven, how would be thy name? He addresses his father. And I like being able to say to my father, Abba, Father. And I love that I'm reminded that I am his child. So I can talk to him. Our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
I love the understanding that I'm praying to God who is holy. Because since he's holy, he's never going to do me wrong. Then he says, thy kingdom comes. You're praying for the advancement of the kingdom to come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and in my heart too. Then we pray, give us this day our daily bread. And we pray, forgive us our sins. And we pray, we'll forgive people who hurt us. And then these things. Now, as we look at this, we find the phonics of prayer. Now, in kindergarten, you teach the phonics of reading. They'll hold up a flashcard. P is pa, T is ta, S is sa. Put this T and this H together, you get the. And then you put this sound in here. And if this little sign's on it, that's a soft sound. If this line's over it, that's a, that's a different sound. And you learn the phonics of reading in kindergarten, first grade. But then when they get into fourth grade, they give them a book and say, go home and now do this. Read the book and come back and give a book report. And when they have to give a book report, they have to read it by a certain time and give a report on it. You're now trying to not just teach them how to read, but you're trying to motivate them to read and to enjoy it. If they just get started in it, pick something they like. They might just become readers all of their lives. So now, in this passage, we just read the kindergarten level where Jesus teaches the phonics of prayer, but then you graduate to verse 5, and Jesus takes them to fourth grade where he's now teaching them and motivating them to do it. And I don't know that we need to be taught necessarily how to pray, but we do need to be motivated that we're doing it. It makes a difference, and we need to be motivated to keep doing it, or we need to be motivated to get doing it. So it's kind of like in fourth grade here, we've got to be motivated. Now, we all talk about prayer. We know that we need to pray for the revival. We know that we need to pray for the unsaved. We know we need to pray for the pastor and the church. But here we're not only being taught that we need to, how we need to, but motivation to do it. So let's go ahead and read in verse 5 through 13. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend and go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine, we'll come back to that part. Let's go to verse 11. Um, Verse 9. Verse 8. Excuse me. Let's look at verse 8. I say unto you, no, verse 9. I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Now, the first way that Christ motivates them to want to pray is by a promise. Now, so many times that we pray the devil is a liar, and he'll say, you're wasting your time, it's not making a difference. But this passage is a promise, and it promises that if we ask, we will, we will be heard. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Now, there was a professor at a Bible college, and he asked his students to write the answer to this question, does prayer change things? And they put yes. He checked it wrong in every one of their papers, and when it was all done and graded, every one of them looked at each other, why did he check this wrong? So then, he walked up to them afterwards and said, why did you check this wrong? They walked up to the professor and said, why did you check it wrong? And his answer was, because it's wrong. So he said, well, what do you mean it's wrong? They said, prayer does change things. And the college professor said, no, prayer does not change things. 
He said, God is sovereign God, and He's already determined everything that He's going to do before the foundations of the earth. Now, that might be somebody's theology, but it is not right theology. And though I'm not just here to beat a certain theology, I'm saying the Bible says very clearly, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. And it is implying if we do not ask, we do not seek, we do not knock, it's not going to happen. So don't believe the lie that prayer does not make a difference. The Bible says, The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so we don't want to follow the devil's lies. Because if we believe the devil's lies, then we're not going to pray. If it doesn't make any difference, if people are going to get better or they're not going to get better, it was already determined before we ever were formed. If people are going to get saved, if they're not going to get saved, that was already determined. If all of this was determined, then all we are are a bunch of puppets. But God says we are not puppets. We have a free will. He says, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, whosoever will may come. And so many verses teach that there's that free will. And this verse, among many other verses, is a promise. Prayer does change things. Now, we don't understand why every time we pray for something, we're not seeing the answer that we want. But we can't always look at what we don't understand. So we want to look at what we know. One thing we do know, it's not possible that prayer could not make a difference. If it didn't make a difference, this would be a lie. All right, so first of all, we can pray, and God says, pray, because I promise you, if you ask, if you seek, if you knock, it's going to happen. It will at least affect me. Now, sometimes I pray, and when I pray, I've learned to trust God as I pray. For instance, I'm praying for my wife to get better. And as I'm praying for my wife to get better, I'm also adding what I know from other passages of Scripture. God's a lot wiser than I am. And so God knows if Becky will have a better life sick than she will healthy. God knows if she will have a better eternity and more eternal joy by how God used her while she was sick or things she experienced about God that she would never have experienced that it was like, wow, God is amazing. If God did not let her go through some of these things, then she never have those experiences. So I pray, God, heal her. That's what I want. You said I could ask, but I trust you in your wisdom that if you tell me no, there's a reason. But don't get the idea that when you pray for your kids, you pray for your neighbors, you pray for your unsafe co-workers, you pray for your unsafe parents, you pray that it is a waste of time because we might not understand why they haven't gotten saved, but it cannot be because prayer doesn't make a difference because it does. So wouldn't you rather pray knowing that it does make a difference than not pray and see them go to hell? because you didn't pray. So we've got to be taught to pray. Now notice they didn't say, Lord, teach us how, though he did teach them how. They were saying, Lord, teach us to do it. And that's what we need to be taught. Now first he teaches them to pray by a promise. 
Now, secondly, he teaches them to pray by the Father's person, by God's love for his children. All right, let's look at verse 11. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. So he goes on to teach them, and he does this by using verse 11 through 13. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? If he ask a fish, something to keep him alive, he's going to die, he needs it. This is not a want, this is a need. I've got to have food. I'm almost dead. Father, help me. Will he for a fish give him a serpent? Here, have a snake, something that will hurt you. Or if he shall ask an egg, I've got to have something to keep you alive. Bread, fish, give me an egg. Well, he offered him a scorpion, something that will hurt him. And the obvious implied answer is, of course not. Of course not. Now, I've got three children. I love them. I enjoy doing things for them. I really enjoy it when I get to meet a need that they are not able to meet. I just enjoy meeting their need. Now, here's what he says in verse 13. If ye then being evil, that means that you are not as holy as God. I am not as holy as God. You disciples, you're good men, but you don't measure up to God the Father. Now, if you, being just human beings, care enough about your kids when they've got a real need and they ask you for it and you meet their need, don't you think that God the Father is going to be a better father than even you are as a human being? Now, verse 11, if a son shall ask bread, fish, egg, he'll give him what he needs. Now, verse 13, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the what? Holy Spirit to them that ask Him. Now, the best commentary on the Bible is, of course, the Bible. And so, when we look at verse 9, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find it. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. What is it referring to in the context, verse 13, the Holy Spirit? Now, it's true that we can pray and ask and seek for God to give healing to our loved ones, financial needs to be met. In fact, he said, when you pray, say, give us this day our daily bread. And as you find the prayer in John chapter 17 of Jesus, you know what a lot of his prayer was? It was for people. He was praying for people. Now, this is talking about um, we can pray for people, we can pray for needs, we can pray for victory and temptation, we can pray for deliverance from our trials, we can pray for the ability to get our hearts right and get ourselves adjusted, we can pray that we would not be bitter people and get us revived and all that. But it also is saying that God gives the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him. And you know what I want the Holy Spirit power for? Often, to see my loved ones saved. Now, in John 17, when you read the story of the prayer of Christ, where He is praying, He says, I pray not for the world, but I pray for those that you gave me. So I'm praying for Christians, and so it might be good for us to look over John 17 and see who we could pray for. I'm praying for Christians that we would be one, that we would have love. Now, you know what that implies? Jesus knew that his believers could go through periods of time when they wouldn't be one. 
when they would be divided. Jesus knew that his people would go through periods of time when they would not love, instead they would hate. When they would not forgive, instead they'd be bitter. So he spent time in his prayer praying for his people to be right, to be one, to be in fellowship with God and in fellowship with each other and with him, the Son. Now, as you look at the context of revival, how many times do we pray about bitterness? How many times we pray about love? How many times we need to pray about these things? Now, bitterness is one of the biggest hindrances to revival. Pride is a big hindrance to revival. Christians are the number one hindrance to revival because we're not waiting for the unsaved people to get right with God before God's going to bless and send a reviving. He's waiting for his people. So when we pray, well, are we going to waste our time if we get together and have a prayer meeting tomorrow and then the next week and then the ladies and then in our own time? We've done this so long. Is it ever going to really be anything more than just hype? According to the Bible, yes, it will be more than hype. Now, he said, I will give you what you need. How many understand that we need the Holy Spirit if we're really going to be spiritual people? If we're going to get over our family problems. How many of you have family problems? You don't need to raise your hand. But we're not going to get over them just by our own logic. How are we going to get things right with our kids? How are we going to get our kids right with us? How are we going to get husband and wife and the marriage fixed? You can have every bit of wisdom, but unless the Holy Spirit will work in my heart, her heart, his heart, their heart, it's not going to get fixed. But when the Lord works, it'll get fixed. So the idea here is we're praying. Do it because... There's a promise that makes a difference, and it's particularly saying when we pray for the Holy Spirit. So going into the revival meeting, are you wasting your time if you have a permitting? Are you wasting your time if you come for 30 minutes to pray? Are you wasting your time if you carve out time in your schedule? Is it just religious tradition? Is it just so you feel good about yourself because, okay, I did my prayer time? No, it makes a difference if we pray, and it makes a difference if we don't. So we want to be even better than just good preachers and teachers. We want to be good prayers because without him we can do nothing. Now there is the promise that it makes a difference. I don't understand why it didn't happen, but I know it can't be because prayer doesn't make a difference because this says it does. I don't know why not everything we pray happens immediately, but it can't be because God doesn't care if we pray. And God doesn't care about us. He does. We love our kids. He loves his spiritual kids. So pray. And as he prayed, he also in his prayer in John 17, he said, I pray not only for mine, but the ones that I'm going to send them to that are going to be saved. You know what that means? He is also praying for people that are unsaved. And how that all works in God's uh, mind I just know that God was praying to God for unsaved people. So I guess I should pray to God for unsaved people. Now, the third way that God motivates them to pray, and this is the primary way I wanted to really look at, is found in verse 5 through 
um, 8. And I said unto them, and he said unto them, Jesus, a parable. Which of you shall have a friend and go on him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. He from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and will give him as many as he needeth. Now, in case you did not get the parable, let me put it in a modern day illustration. You're at home at midnight, the passage says it's midnight, and you're watching your TV or reading a book or something, and then somebody knocks on your door. You open the door, you think, who could be knocking on my door at midnight? And you realize it's an old friend that you haven't seen for years. And so you welcome him in and you catch up on life, and then you remember after you talk a few minutes that your friend likes to eat. When you were in college, he ate all of your food. So you say, well, have you had anything to eat? He said, not since supper, and that was an hour ago. I'm starved. So you say, well, what would you like to have? And he said, well, I'd like to have a bologna sandwich. So you say, okay, we'll get you one. And you say, honey, would you go to the kitchen and would you make Joe a bologna sandwich? She goes in the kitchen, pulls out the bologna, the mayo, the lettuce, and everything she's going to put on it, goes to the bread box, and there's no bread. So you think, where can I get bread to make Joe a bologna sandwich? You think, well, my next door neighbor, he'll have a loaf of bread. And let's pretend the supermarkets are all closed and there are no all-night gas stations, or it'll ruin my illustration. So you think, where can I get bread? You think, my next door neighbor. So you go to your next door neighbor and you knock on his door at midnight. He opens the door. What do you want? And he's thinking something must be wrong or you would have never knocked on my door. So you say, oh, nothing's wrong. A friend of mine's visiting me, and he wants a bologna sandwich, and I don't have any bread. Can I borrow a loaf of bread? He says, what? You woke me up at midnight to make a bologna sandwich? Yeah, Joe's visiting me. You mean for a guy named Joe? Yeah. No, get out of here. And he slams the door in your face. But Joe's a friend of yours, so you think, I've got to get him a bologna sandwich, so you knock on the door again. He opens the door. What do you want? I need a loaf of bread. Just give me a loaf of bread. I'll pay you back. No, go away. My kids are sleepy. I woke them up. I've got to get to work tomorrow. Slams the door in your face. But you're persistent, and you say, I'm going to get this loaf. So you knock on the door again. He won't open the door. You knock on the door again. He won't open the door. So you pick up pebbles, start throwing them at his window. He opens the window. I need a loaf of bread. No, go away. Breaks the glass, slamming the window. You keep throwing up pebbles. He still won't respond. So you get a megaphone. I need a loaf of bread. I need a loaf of bread. I need a loaf. And finally, he opens up the door and he throws nine loaves of bread at you and says, get out of here. Now, that would be a modern application. Let's take a look very quickly at the application. All right, now, as we go into the revival meetings, as I mentioned, one of the things that has to happen is we've got to pick up faith again that if we pray, it makes a difference. If we don't, it makes a difference. When it comes to the unsaved being saved, 
We've got to get back again the Bible truth that God can turn the king's heart, God can turn the unsaved neighbor's heart. In the book of Psalms, Psalm 119, the psalmist prayed, teach me. Can God then teach them? Show me. Can God then show them? Help me. Then can God help them? And there are passages in Psalm 119, teach me, show me, make me, help me, turn me. These are all words in Psalm 119. And if God can teach me, show me, help me, make me, turn me, He can help, make, show, change, turn my unsaved friends, heart toward God. And so, unless we get convinced that this makes a difference, we're not going to be prayer praying for Holy Spirit power. So let's look in closing at this parable at some application. I, first of all, I want you to notice that there is a request here. Look at verse 5. Which of you shall have a friend and go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. Now what do the loaves that we're asking for represent? The best commentary is the Bible, and we already settled in verse 13, If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, your Holy Father will give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him. Ask, and the Holy Spirit will be given you. Seek, and the Holy Spirit will be found. Knock, and the Holy Spirit will be opened to you. And what this is talking about is found in the reason for the request. I look at the reason for the request in verse 6. Why do we want Holy Spirit power? For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Now, why do we want the power not so we can be the most powerful church? It's because we care about a friend who's needing something. Now, what this is talking about is unsaved people. What this is talking about, no doubt tied to the prayer of Jesus, backslidden Christians. There are people that we talk to and talk to, invite, work on for years. And we try everything, but it seems like we've got nothing to set before them anymore. They've heard it all. Now, do you have an unsaved parent? Do you have an unsaved child? Do you have a unsaved neighbor, brother, or sister. If you do, this is what it's talking about. Do you think you're going to be clever enough to reach them? You and I have tried in a long time, so the only thing we can do, and the only thing we ever could do, we have to have God reach them. Now, you have not because you ask not. There are reasons that we don't get answers to these prayers, but one of them is an obvious one. We haven't asked. We haven't sought. We haven't knocked. And there's never been a prayer with movement. There's never been a revival without a prayer movement. Duncan Campbell is a great preacher, was a great preacher. And there was an island-wide revival that many of you are familiar with. And it shook the entire island and the way that it all started, according to Duncan Campbell. There was an 84-year-old blind woman named Peggy and went to a preacher and said, Preacher, God gave me a vision that he wants to send revival to our island. Wouldn't it be great if God gave somebody a vision he wants to send a revival to Central Baptist Church? 
Now, the preacher's response was, Peggy, we don't even have an evangelist scheduled. And Peggy's response was, Preacher, we've tried evangelists before. Why don't we try God? And the revival came. And what Peggy did was she said, you get the men of the church to pray, and my older sister and I will pray. And they prayed from 10 p.m. till 4 a.m. That's six hours every Tuesday and Friday night. Now, we know this, but we need to be taught to pray. So the reason for this request, we want bread, is not for our personal power, so we look powerful and strong again. It's so that these people that are unsaved, these people that have gotten backslidden, these people away from God, we've got nothing to set before them. The people in the world that have no interest in things of God, nothing I put in front of them is going to draw them toward church. Then we pray for the Lord to give Holy Spirit power and to save them and draw them to Himself. God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, power belongeth unto God, not evangelists. So we've got to pray, and this parable is saying, from Jesus, pray, because you have friends that need the loaf. Now there is a an answer. Now notice what he says in verse 7. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut. My children are with me in bed, I cannot rise and give thee. Now if this parable is referring to the Father, and it is, because verse 13 says, How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Why would the Father say no? I am not going to do it. Now, there are times when the Holy Spirit says, no, I'm not going to do it. And one reason that God doesn't do great things is because people don't ask Him to do it. But another reason that God will not do great things sometimes is, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Now, many times when it comes to our prayer lives, we look at these verses and we understand them and we believe them, but we are very soft on ourselves and we really don't meet the conditions. That TV show, maybe we shouldn't necessarily say that TV show, but that person on that TV show that we know is not dressed properly and we know how we think about that. If we cannot get our head and get our eyes and get our hearts pleasing before God, why would we expect He'd pray, He'd hear? Now, you and I can be in a community and there are a lot of people that aren't dressed right in the community and we can't tell them, what's the matter with you? They're not going to care. But God is saying, what's the matter with you? Because you're so light and soft on yourself. Now, there was somebody that was preaching at a Bible college, and he was preaching on these girls, and he was yelling at these girls, and he was telling them their skirts were not long enough, 
and they were to the top of the knee. Now, it was supposed to be to the bottom of the knee. But he went on and he was ripping and ripping and ripping on those girls. And there were young men in that Bible college who were told that if there's somebody that's not dressed right, you report it and you tell us if you struggle. And yeah, the girls could learn some lessons. One guy went in and said, I don't like it when the girls have ruffles on their skirt. It makes me lust. And then the preacher's ripping on all the girls. And by the way, we, God says that women ought to be modest, as I mentioned. But I'm telling you this. When we're out there in the world, they're not all going to be modest. They don't care. But God does care how you think. And I told those Bible college students, I said, I'm not trying to be crude, but you need, and please don't be offended by this, and please understand the heart behind it, and not being distasteful. I said, young man, you've got to be able to preach to women that are naked in a foreign country, and not lust. And we can't keep our mind clean here. Now, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And one reason God will say, trouble me not, is because we're too soft on ourselves. And I don't want to be soft on myself so that I disqualify myself from something better. God. Amen? Amen. An answer to prayer. That's better. Peace. That's better. When I pray like I'm, I am talking to God, that's better. And when I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Now, the issue in the heart may not be the iniquity, the morally distorted or twisted character of impurity. It might be the iniquity of pride. Now, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, and in 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to see a verse that talks about prayer, and 1 Peter 3 and verse 6. Actually, we'll get to verse 7. But even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. So women have to have the right attitudes to their husbands. But look at verse 7, though. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as under the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life. Get it, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, why is it that we don't have revival? It's because the unsaved are so hard. That's not what God said. Why is it that we don't have revival? What God said, you have not because you ask not. But what else did God say? If you regard iniquity in your heart, I won't hear you. And what did he specifically use as an illustration of iniquity? The way the men are with their wives. Husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, not disrespect, not hate, not bitterness. 
Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life. There's so many wonderful things in life, and we get to do it together. And he warns that your prayers be not hindered. Now, a lot of men and wives are not close and right with each other. And God specifically says that that will hinder our prayers. So when we pray, teach me, show me, make me, change me. There was a time when I was having trouble and I thought my wife wasn't really responding to me like she should. After all, doesn't she know? And I, this is stupid. But doesn't she know that everywhere I go, people want to hear what I have to say? Why doesn't she? And this might sound stupid, but everybody thinks I'm okay. Why doesn't she? And she did, but in my mind, she didn't think I was as awesome as I thought she should think I was. <laughs> Why didn't she respond to me right? Why didn't she listen to me? Why did she do that? And I'm on my knees and I'm going, God, what is wrong? Why isn't this doing better here? And God hit me that the only reason you're having any kind of problem, if you're having any kind of problem, is you. And he hit me with that, with the Bible says, only by pride cometh contention. Now you think that it's your wife's problem, and God says it's yours. Somebody's got pride. And if you talk mean to your wife, if you cut her off, if you're critical of her, God sees and you have iniquity in your heart. It's called pride because only by pride cometh contention. And what I'm getting at is not just fixing this problem, that problem, but let's fix all these problems. Let's get our lives right before God. And we don't know if God's going to save people in this next meeting. We don't know if God's going to save a lot of people this year. We don't know what he's going to do, but we do know this. It won't be because it won't make a difference if we get our hearts right. It won't be because it does make a difference if we pray. Now, how many of you are praying for somebody to be saved? You know what? A lot of people, they pray for their needs. They pray for everything, but they don't pray for unsaved people. And you know how you can tell when a church is backslidden? I heard a famous evangelist, evangelist Ron Comfort. And that famous evangelist said, you know how you can tell when a church is backslidden? Wait a minute. No, he said, you know how you can tell when a church is backslidden? That's the way he did it. When all they pray for is sick people. Now, every one of us could be praying for the Holy Spirit power to see people saved. If we want to pray like Jesus prayed, he taught his disciples to pray. He taught them to pray for fellow believers because it makes a difference that they would be one, that they would have love as they follow his prayer in John 17. And he also prayed for the unsaved. Now, the reason that God says trouble me not is we don't pray is one of them. But trouble me not when we do pray could be because we have sin in our life. Another reason it could be because we have wrong motives. Psalm 24, 3 and 4, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. 
who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity. There was a woman who was in Greg Murray's church, and she was a singer, and she said to Greg Murray, who is my song leader, why is it that I'm scheduled to sing on Sunday night and so-and-so sing, singing Sunday morning? And she actually made this statement. She has a Sunday night voice. I've got a Sunday morning voice. Now, what is a Sunday morning voice? Evidently better than a Sunday night voice. Sorry, Mrs. Lloyd, you're Sunday night. Now, so the Sunday morning voice in her mind was better than the Sunday night voice. And Sunday morning, you put the best up and you're the best. So you should be in the best spot on a Sunday morning spot. And you know what? That was all lifting up her soul unto vanity. And Greg Murray said, you won't sing Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night until you get your heart adjusted. And you know, when I preach, when you witness, all of us can have the right heart. And you know what I learned? I don't ever have to preach with pride. All I got to do is get my heart adjusted before I preach. I don't ever have to counsel with pride. I don't ever have to counsel with, with pride. I don't ever have to pray with pride. Because sometimes I'm starting to pray like a good prayer, and then I get pride and then say, Lord, I don't even want to smell it. And so as long as we get our hearts right and we get that thing sincere, our motives are right. There are reasons God will say, trouble me not. And there are probably many others. But is there anybody with, your, with whom you're bitter? Now, too often we pray. Bitterness is an important thing to deal with. And we preach bitterness is an important thing to deal with. There was a meeting when I was in Pennsylvania, and there were five unsaved people uh, one night, Sunday night. Nobody got saved. Tuesday night, several unsaved people. Wednesday night, several unsaved people. Nobody got saved. And I thought, why isn't anyone getting saved? Because I felt like I was preaching with liberty. But you know what? I changed my message that I was going to preach on Thursday I think it was actually Wednesday, and I preached a message on bitterness. And when I was done preaching, there's only one woman who walked down the aisle. It was the sweetest, godliest woman in the whole church. She gets down on her knees, and she's a Sunday school teacher. She's been there for years. She's the awesomest lady, I think, in the whole church. And she gets down, and she prays about some bitterness in her life. And so I was a little discouraged, and I thought, why is it that the godliest people are the only ones who ever walk an aisle? Isn't it like that sometimes? So I was going to the pastors for supper that night, and when I went to the supper afterwards, I walk in, and the pastor's physically shaking at his table. He's about 75 years old. And I said, Pastor, are you okay? And he says, do you know what you did? I said, no, what did I do? He said, that woman. I said, what woman? The woman who walked down the aisle. I said, yeah, why is it that the godliest people are the only ones who ever walk down the aisle? He said, that woman is the most bitter complainer in my church. And that woman walked the aisle and got right with God over bitterness on Wednesday. And on Thursday, we had five people come to know Jesus Christ. And when we find our Bibles that say, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear, it's true. Now, we can't make God save anyone. But we know as hard as He wants to. And we can't make God do anything. 
except we can say, God, we know you'll be true to your promises, and here's what you promise. So one thing we can do is we can make sure that people are not going to get saved because we're bitter. One thing we can do is make sure that the Holy Spirit isn't hindered because we can't get along with our own wives. And the reason is, we're proud. We think we deserve more. So God says, you've got pride. I'm not going to hear you. Because that is something going to disqualify you. So one thing we can do is make sure that as we go into the meetings, we pray. And what we can do is make sure that we meet the conditions along with other lines of Scripture. And I tell you, then we can get to where we're praying and we're in the presence of God. And sometimes it doesn't happen until you spend some time. I don't know how long they were looking at Jesus pray, but I get the idea. When he ceased, means it must have been a long period of time. So he must have been doing it a while. And this is what we have to do. We've got to start carving out some time. We're busy, so was Christ. And he only had three and a half years to get his stuff done. But he made his time, and we must make our time. Somebody said, I've got so much to do. And when I have so much more to do, I spend more time in prayer. I spend three hours a day in prayer when I've got a lot to do. Now, I do not spend three hours a day in prayer. But what I do know is that unless I carve out my times, then something happens to this heart. Unless I carve out my time, something happens to my ministry, and it's not good. So we need to carve out our times to pray. So he says, a promise will make a difference. He gives the Father cares about it, and he gives the parable. There are reasons that we need to pray. We need to pray for the Lord to give us the power for those unsaved people, for those backslidden Christians, for people that we don't have anything else to try to reach them with. But God says, evidently, there's a power that is available, and it does come through prayer. God will rise give you what you need. Now, notice what he says back here in Luke chapter 11, and we will close. Luke chapter 11. Verse 8. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, God says to us as a matter of fact, henceforth have I not called you servants, but I have called you friends. Whether we pray or whether we don't pray, he still calls us sons of God. Oh, what a blessing that we would be called the sons of God. Whether we pray or whether we don't pray, we're still the friends of God because of Christ. But if we don't pray, we're not going to get this. Verse 8, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. When I was a boy, what would have happened if I said to my mom, Mom, some of the kids and I want to go to the park and play on the swings, and I'm three years old. Can I borrow the keys to the car? 
she's not going to loan them to me. When I was 15 years old, if I said, Mom, some of the guys and I want to go to the Cubs game downtown Chicago. It's only an hour and 20 minutes away. Can I borrow the keys to the car? I didn't have my license, didn't have driver's education, didn't have a permit, didn't have any experience. She would not have given me that car. Now when I'm 56, I'll say, Mom, can I borrow your car? She'll give me the keys to her car. Now what's the difference? It's the same Mike Pelletier, born June 5th, 1965, at 56, as I was when I was three. It's the same Mike Pelletier, older, more mature, as I was when I was 15. All right, what's the difference? If I had had that power when I was three, it would have hurt me. If I would have had that power when I was 15, it may have been dangerous for me. But when I get mature, then I can have more power. And I don't think that God's going to give anybody power that would make them proud and arrogant. So we've got to adjust our hearts, but then we've got to go at this thing believing. Now, revival meetings coming up, the years coming up. How many of you believe that when God said prayer makes a difference, he meant it? Amen? All right. Let's pray.